The word of our Lord from the book of Joshua says, And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood. And they are there to this day. The Lord is always faithful. That's been somewhat of a a theme that uh, I've been harping on, I guess, for the last at least couple of years. We find here in this story in Joshua chapter 4, not just a reminder of the Lord's faithfulness, but a story of how remarkably faithful Yahweh has been to Israel. In chapter 3, you have the actual crossing of the Jordan. And one of the remarkable things about that story is that you remember back to when they came out of Exodus. They approach the Red Sea, and when they get to the Red Sea, the sea is before them. They have mountains beside them, and Pharaoh's army is coming up behind them, and the people begin to panic. Moses, what were you thinking bringing us out here? We're going to be slaughtered. We could have just stayed in Egypt. Could have enjoyed the king's delicacies. And God parted the Red Sea before them and Israel was able to pass through the Red Sea on dry ground. You remember that. In chapter 3, after 40 years of Israel wandering in the wilderness because of their misplaced trust, they trusted in their fears rather than in the Word of God. God told them 
enter the land that I have promised you. And they said, no way, those guys are bigger than us and they are badder than us and they're mean and nasty and they're going to hurt us. And so Israel wandered for 40 years. But God has faithfully brought them back to the banks of the Jordan River. And as they stand before the Jordan River, God has told Joshua... Prepare your people. You're about to cross over. You're about to inherit the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're about to enter my land, the land of promise. So Joshua prepares the people. And one of the things that they do is they get the priests together and the priests are bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And Joshua commands the people to begin crossing. But something different is taking place from what had taken place with the crossing of the Red Sea. Israel must step out into the Jordan River, not on dry ground, but out into the waters. And Joshua chapter 3 tells us that as the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant came out into the waters, suddenly the water stopped flowing and the ground beneath their feet began drying. Sometimes God calls us out into the waters before He parts them. Sometimes God calls us to follow in His steps before we can see a way before our feet. And so what does God do? He shows His faithfulness to Israel. He is making making true His promises that He had made to their forefathers. When God makes a covenant with His people, He will always uphold His end of the covenant. Always. He is that faithful. And so God is showing His faithfulness to His people here And God has been faithful to our congregation. He has been faithful to us in six years and three months of providing this nice and comfortable place to meet. In a sense, we are crossing over from what we have known into what we have not yet known. We're passing through waters and we don't know when they're going to be parted. We're still waiting on phone calls to come back from folks that we've contacted about, okay, where are we going to meet after this next month? But God will always make a way. There's that old course, that old cheesy course from when I was a kid. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Yada, yada, yada. I can't remember the rest of it, but He works in ways you cannot see. He will make a way for me. I remember it now. Thank you, Lindsay. Now you know why I married her. <laughs> she, she, she helps. She, she, she contributes to my cheesiness. Um, thank you. But God will always make a way. You, you can imagine Israel thinking, now, you know, when we think the Jordan River, you've got to remember that in the ancient world, it was not just some tiny little stream. It could get several feet deep. Several feet deep at different periods of the year. And you've got to imagine all of Israel with their hundreds of thousands of people camping upon the banks of the Jordan saying, Okay, Joshua, you said we're going 
across the river, right? Yeah, it's, let's, let's, let's keep moving. But hang, hang on a second. Forty years ago, God, didn't, God, didn't God part the Red Sea for our people? Well, yeah, but th- he said, let's go, let's go. Joshua, he, the wind has not started blowing yet. Let's go. It's time to cross. I, I would imagine as the priests step out, bearing the Ark of the Covenant, and the waters do begin to pull back, and the ground does begin to dry, that there were probably some who were absolutely stunned. How in the world can God be so miraculously good to us? He is always faithful. He is always faithful. And sometimes He calls us out into the waters of the unknown. Sometimes He calls us out into rivers that have not yet been parted. Sometimes He tells us to take a step out into that water which will surely sweep you up. But He calls us to come. I want to go ahead and warn you. I want to read a few things to you this morning that Lindsay and I came across this week that um, were real blessings to us. And the first is a, a passage from William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. He said, Does the surging sea look dark and dangerous? Unquestionably, it is so. There is no doubt that the leap for you, as for everyone who takes it, means difficulty and scorn and suffering. For you it may mean more than this. It may mean death. He who beckons you from the sea, however, knows what it will mean. And knowing, he still calls you and bids you come. You must do it. You cannot hold back. You have enjoyed yourself in Christianity long enough. You have had pleasant feelings, pleasant songs, pleasant meetings, pleasant prospects. There has been much of human happiness, much clapping of hands and shouting of praises, very much of heaven on earth. Now then, go to God and tell Him that you are prepared as much as necessary to turn your back upon it all, that you are willing to spend the rest of your days struggling in the midst of those perishing multitudes, whatever it may cost you. You must do it. With the light that is now broken in upon your mind and the call that is now surrounding your ears, the beckoning hands that are now before your eyes, you have no alternative. To go down among the perishing crowds is your duty. Your happiness from now on will consist in sharing their misery, your ease in sharing their pain, your crown in helping them to bear their cross, and your heaven in going into the very jaws of hell to rescue them. Now what will you do? God sometimes calls His people out into the waters before He parts them. Sometimes God calls His people out of their comforts. You know, we talk all the time. It's, it's, we talk about it all the time so much uh, to the point that it becomes very cliche. You know, getting out of your comfort zone. 
But we know what comfort is. I mean, my goodness, our chairs are padded. We know what comfort is. We have known for six years and three months what comfort is. But life isn't always promising comfort, and God doesn't always call us to the comfortable. Sometimes He calls us into discomfort. Sometimes it is our comfort which has come because of His blessing that begins to darken us and numb our senses. But God stands in the midst of the sea. God stands on the other side of the banks of the river and cries out, Would you come? Would you come? Would you leave your comfort? Would you come? I've been comfortable here. You've been comfortable here. It's been a nice place. And I think there is a deep and abiding significance in places. I don't think of this place as just some mere building. This has been a sanctuary to us. This has been a holy place. This has been a place where we have met with God for six years and three months. This has been His place for us. But He's not bound by a place. And He invites us to another place. I hope it's comfortable. I like comfort. I'm like the, the guy from the VeggieTales, a life of ease. The Lord of the Beans. I like comfort. You like comfort. We all like comfort. But sometimes, even in our uh, being awakened from our comfort and being called to something else, we could be leaving one place that's pretty comfortable and going to another place that's going to end up being a whole lot more comfortable. But it's just the move that kind of makes us weary. We don't know what's coming up. We don't know what's next. You know, we think of the promised land as, man, that is certainly the place of comfort. That's the place of all comfort. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. That's how God sold it to Israel, right? It's a good place. You're going to inherit farms you didn't prepare. You're going to inherit houses your hands didn't build. And you're going to enjoy this place of milk and honey and plenty it's going to be a life of ease. But God didn't promise them a life of ease. He promised them that if they would be faithful to Him, that they would inherit this land, but that there would be work to be done. We speak of the book of Joshua as a book of conquest. Really, it's not so much a book of conquest as is a book of Israel trying to faithfully receive what God has promised them. They're not trying to take it by grasping. They're trying to faithfully follow after God. But that following, that receiving, 
required work. They knew what life was like in the wilderness. They had spent it 40 years there. Crossing over that river, going into that place of promise, having to drive off those folks that 40 years prior they had been terrified of. That was not to be an activity of comfort. But as they're crossing, Yahweh tells Joshua, I want you to do something. I want you to set up some stones. I want you to get someone from each of the 12 tribes. I want them to get 12 stones. I want them to raise up those stones upon their shoulders. I want them to carry them from the riverbed to the place where they're going to sleep tonight. And I want them to set up those stones for a reminder He leads us. We follow as a congregation. And sometimes in our lives, we need to set up memorial stones. These stones are signs pointing beyond themselves to some greater reality. We sang last week the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I say we because I was on the phone. I was singing. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come. And we think, what in the world are we singing about Scrooge for? He was a mean old man, didn't like Christmas much. And Ebenezer is a stone of remembrance. And that stone of remembrance was to be a monument. So that as as Joshua says here, there's going to come a day where your kids are going to say, what in the world are these 12 stones doing set up? And you're going to be able to say, God has been faithful to us. Let me tell you a story. And so these memorial stones, they were signs pointing beyond themselves to the the greater reality of God's faithfulness. And it seems according to the text here, scholars debate over whether or not this is is what uh, the Hebrew is saying, but it seems according to the, just the plain reading of the English text here that there are two sets of stones that Joshua insists the people of Israel set up. One set of stones is to be on the bank of the river where you lay your head at night to night. After you've crossed the river, you're going to set up these 12 stones. And they will be at that bank. They will be where you lodge to be a reminder to you. But it seems like there's another set of stones that Joshua insists that the people set up. And that's in the very base of the river. Because he mentions the stones that are to be placed where the priest's feet have stepped across the river. And the passage, verse 9, ends with, and those stones are there to this very day. Now imagine that, those two sets of stones. One seen and one unseen. One right there, plain to any seeing eye in the light of day, and the other hidden in the mud underneath the waters because that's where the priest's feet had stepped. That's the ground that God had dried up for His people once they faithfully stepped out into it. There are times in our lives where we need to set up stones. Where we need to raise up stones in our lives 
to remind us of what God has done, to, to remember His covenantal faithfulness, but also to remind us of what we have sworn we will do so that we might remember our covenantal oaths. John Wesley left for us a covenantal prayer. He said, O Lord God, You have called us through Christ to be partakers of this gracious covenant. We take upon ourselves with joy the yoke of obedience and engage ourselves for the love of You to seek and do Your perfect will. I am no longer my own but Thine. Put me to what You will. Rank me with whom You will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for You or laid aside for You, exalted for You or brought low for You. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to Your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, You are mine and I am Yours. So be it. May the covenant which I have made this day on earth be sustained for all our days in this world and may it be ratified in heaven. I mentioned just a couple of weeks ago that... when we are as a congregation stepping out into what is next the not yet the unknown the uncomfortable that one of the things we ought to do is to renew our covenant with one another to think afresh and anew what it means to be a member of Faith Methodist Church what it means to be a part of this congregation and you may think well I haven't I haven't signed on. I'm not officially a member yet. But every person in this room is in some measure a part of what it means to be faith Methodist. Even Blair and Mosto and the, the kids. I'm just going to refer to them as the boys because we don't know yet about the unborn, but he's, he's a boy or a girl. We bear them in our hearts. We pray for you regularly. There's a little bit of pride in thinking, man, one of the kids in my youth group when I was in college is serving the Lord in Japan. Wow. But when we covenant together, We're doing more than just providing lip service. We're doing more than just like reading through something together. We're doing more than just signing our names to something. To covenant together is to to make an oath to one another. I will not let you fall on my watch. I will not let you fail on my watch. I will hold you up. I will be the one who gives you strength when you cannot go on. I will be the one that bears you in my soul 
I will cry for you. I will cry with you. I will laugh with you. I will rejoice with you. When good things come into your life, I will be as excited as if it were my very own blessing. When bad things come, I will hurt with you. That's what it means to covenant together. Ruth said it very uh, very simply in her words to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. You cannot pay me to leave you. It will not happen. And we have need to raise up stones in our lives to remind us of who we are, to remind us of what God has done in our lives. And I've provided a little gift for you. Don't ever say I never gave you anything. I've got a basket of stones here. Now some of you have seen these stones. We use these stones in our house. Some the kids won't mind you having one of their little stones. It's actually marble. And don't don't try to sell it off right now. I don't think it's worth all that much. But it's a little stone of marble. And we're gonna pass it around this it, it won't it won't get your pants dirty or anything because it's got rags in there. But uh, if you'll grab a stone and then pass it along to someone else, I this, you know, it, it's not a big stone that you got to carry on your shoulder, but this might be something that you could keep in your pocket for the day, put on your nightstand tonight. Um, just something to, to remember. Number one, God's faithfulness to us as a congregation as we move from this place into uh, the future that God has for us. But also to, to be reminded of your part in this congregation. To faithfully pray. To faithfully participate. To be a part of what God is doing here. You remember that the land was Yahweh's land. It was not just some track of land that He promised to, to, to give to some you know, group of scrub people. This was His land. It was His land intended for His people so that His people could be in His place and could enjoy His presence. It was to be received as a gift. It was not to be conquered as some trophy. When we approach the elements of communion, we are reminded... That even though even when we hear the words take and eat, we are not conquering so much as we are being conquered. We are accepting. We are receiving. One of the reasons why as you come, I invite you to cup your hands like this in order to receive. Not to grab to receive. Israel was receiving a land flowing with milk and honey. A land that was Yahweh's. A land that He was giving them graciously. The world received in Christ a stone that was rejected. The psalmist says, 
This stone that was rejected, he has made the chief cornerstone. It is excellent. This is God's doing. He was one that was rejected, but he has become the preeminent one. The Eucharist is a meal of thanksgiving. And it's a meal of remembrance. At its very base level, all of the church throughout the centuries and throughout the the countries of the world can agree that this is a meal at which we remember what Christ has done in our behalf. We remember that stone that was rejected We take, we eat. We give thanks to God. And we remember what His Son has done in our behalf. And like a stone, this chief cornerstone, this Messiah, is firm. He's stable. The psalmist would cry out, That the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer in whom I can trust. He can be counted upon. He can be rested in. He can bear our weight. And He reminds us of His faithfulness and our redemption. And He beckons us to come to raise up stones in our lives and to follow Him. There will be times where we pass by this way. Bill will pass it probably more than any of us. Just lives a couple of miles up the road. Our kids will pass by here often. And we won't see just a just a, a shell. We won't see just a building. There's no telling what will pop up here. Every time I pass by Bill, uh, past the square and go, go down past the, the place where we used to meet over off of Whitlock, I see the little copying place in there. And I, and I don't think, oh, it's a copying place. I think that was our home. That was our home. That was a sanctuary of God's presence. This morning when... Uh, the band was practicing, the kids were gathered up and they were sharing a meal together of donuts and other unhealthy treats. And they were in there talking about this place because, you know, everything's all boxed up and it's kind of empty and they, they were talking about this place. They were reminiscing together. Well, I'm, I think Addison said, I'm going to miss this place. And I thought, that's awesome. That is awesome. Change is always weird. Moving is always kind of, you know, filled with mixed emotions. But it is good to have memories. It is good to hurt when you lose something. It means it meant something to you. But God doesn't just call us to leave and forget memories. He calls us to set up stones. He calls us to raise up memorials in our lives. For 2,000 years, most churches 
have celebrated what we call Holy Communion every single week. Some of us celebrate it monthly. An unfortunate few, maybe a couple of times a year. But a meal celebrated regularly to remind us of our redemption, to remind us of God's great love for us, to remind us of how He would not leave us alone, to remind us that as we have come in in His presence, we go out being sustained by Him. He gives us bread to eat and we go to feed the world. Stones of Remembrance. He stands on the bank. But it's not our bank. It's the other side of the bank. The other bank. The other side of the river. And he says, it's time to move. It's time to get your feet wet. It's time to get up. It's time to go. Let's pray.